Well, welcome to Grace Project Radio. It's so good that you were able to join us again, and you're being really spoiled in this season called Lou, uh, Live from Louisville. Um, today I'm joined in the, well, I keep wanting to say in the studio, but I'm not in the studio. I'm in uh, Linda Bunting's home. Uh, I'm here in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, today I'm with uh, Harriet Warren, and Harriet is joined with uh, Linda. Linda was so great we had to get her to come back, but also she's going to drag your story out of you as well, Harriet. You know, one thing I must say before we get into this discussion is, and this is something that the Lord has really been speaking to me quite profoundly about in, in recent days, there has never been a movement of God that has not been pioneered by women. And the interesting thing about the church is the church has become so male-orientated uh, and, and, and so oppressive to women. But, but what's excited me, particularly in the, the three interviews that I've done, I've spent time with Linda, I've listened to Linda's story, uh, we spent time with Didi, we've listened to Didi's story, and we're about to be privileged to be brought into the intimacy of your story. And as I, as I listen, my mind begins to race. I think of Mary, who was the first one to the tomb, who was the one that declared to the apostles, he's risen from the dead. And, and I know that your story, ladies, is that you declared to your men that he's risen. He's alive. And while they, while they were about somebody else's business, you were at the tomb, and you saw he is alive. I, I think about the, 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 the movement that, that we've, if you will, grown from, if you like. We, we, we all find our roots, do we not, in the deeper life movement. I think about that blessed saint that was persecuted by the church, the dear woman, Jessie Penn Lewis, mm -hmm. who was terrorized by the church but yet she was a woman that was a knower she saw and understood and she gave us spiritual direction down through the years we think of uh, from catholicism we think of the, the mother teresa mm -hmm. perhaps the greatest greatest saint in our living memory uh, and we can go on and on and on we can think of ruth Paxton from the exchange lifeman we can take many many people Cheers. from the exchange and we can say here are people that god really, really used as pioneers. And when, when Linda and I finished talking last night, Linda said to me, you have got to get hold of Harriet. You have just got to sit down with Harriet because this is one of the most powerful women on the face of the earth. You just need to talk to this lady. And I didn't need any encouragement in that because when we were here two years ago, I said to you before, Haley, my wife, I just have never seen her so released. She sat in your home and you sat around the table together and I heard gales of laughter coming from my wife that just filled my heart with such joy. And so it is such a privilege, Harriet, for me to be able to welcome you to the Grace Project. And, uh, and thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. Uh, folk, as you will gather as we talk, this, the Louisville reunion takes place in John and Linda and Harriet and Wade's homes. They are the next-door neighbors, and they, they live in this amazing place in, uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, which is, I said to, um, I was explaining where Dee Dee lives, I said to the folk that Dee Dee lives in, in Wisteria Lane, and she was a desperate housewife that got dealt with. That these, these ladies live on the little house on the prairie, and they this amazing place here in, in Louisville, and it's wonderful. But here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to ask Linda, who's already known to our folk, just to introduce Harriet, and then we'll just open up a conversation, because what I want to hear from you, Harriet, is about how you came to know Christ as your life. But, Linda, welcome back. Well, as I sat here and uh, thought how to introduce my <coughs> lifelong friend and uh, co-worker mm -hmm. and a uh, single person who uh, pioneered with me the journey, our journey in the spirit, because we started together when we were young mothers and uh, we sat down together at a table and were taught the Bible 
together by our friend Pauline Catlett. And um, if I had to give Harriet a label, it would be holy ground. Hmm. Because when she speaks, she doesn't speak of herself. She speaks of the God who taught her how to walk in Him alone and how to trust Him in the most dire circumstances that uh, a woman will ever face. Wow. Um, how to win her husband to Christ. First of all, how to find out who she was in Christ. He took her through that training ground. And then he took her through the training ground of intercession to win her husband to Christ. And then the loss of a child. Hmm. And how to give up a son she loved. And so uh, I just have to say, our 50 years together have uh, been a continual source, of, a, a resource of the Spirit to me. And she's a treasure. And when she speaks, I always call her E.F. Hutton. Because when she speaks, you listen. And yeah. you know to listen. Because she knows how to hear. And I'm glad I'm here. I hope I don't interrupt too much. But there are central points to her life and her journey that I never forget. So um, I would just say, thank God for you, Paul, that you've come here to bring her to the public. Mm, well, I, I am I'm thrilled. I am I'm thrilled to have that privilege. Harriet, welcome. Thank to you. Tell me how I know. I want to hear about <coughs> Wade. I, I'm even nervous about hearing the story about Scott. Um, but I want to hear first and foremost, if I can, how did about how you came to know Christ as your life. Well, I think I would have to start when I was a young girl because my father was an alcoholic with all the repercussions of what that brings to a household. You know, we had problems with money. I was insecure because of this. And so I was constantly looking for something to fulfill me and to make me have an inner peace. And um, interestingly enough, I grew up this way, but before um, I even married, my father joined Alcoholics Anonymous and he really became a key figure in the Louisville area toward all the people who had problems with alcohol. And I really saw that he had given his life for that, that God had used him in a powerful way to all these people who were down and out and caught in the trap of alcoholism. But the interesting thing to me that I found, and it was so, I had to search myself because I always thought if he came around and got better, I would be better. Mm. I would be secure. He would give me everything I needed. That so you would derive your security from your father's That's security. right. Wow. And, but the thing <clears throat> I found was that he got better, but I was still mad. I was angry at him all those years when I felt like he failed us. And I felt like when he came around and was better, then I had to be introspective with myself. And hmm. I began to see that the same thing that had been in him was in me. I looked better on the outside because no one could see that I could eat a whole cake in the confines of my kitchen. No one knew that. But I saw that I was very obsessive just like he was. And it came to me that I was thankful mine wasn't alcohol because I would be in the same boat he was. 
but it made me see that I needed something besides these people in my lives getting straightened out. That there was something in me that needed to be straightened out too. And I had developed a, a horrible temper because I could not control him and I couldn't control life. None of us really can. It's a joke to think that we can. But I think everybody tries that because you think in that you will find security. And um, so I was on the lookout to find fulfillment somewhere else and thinking that if I found that, then I would be secure again. But God always kept me having to be introspective of, of myself because I found a husband. I loved him. He swept me off my feet. He was very outgoing where I was more shy, reticent person. And I admired that in him because he could go in anywhere and talk to anybody where I would always hang back. So I think that was one of the things that drew me to him. But the funny thing was, and you know, I knew God from an early age and I knew Jesus. I knew Jesus loved me. I went to church. We always went to church. But I had not found something inside of me to make me whole. And so I began to put these, um, what would you call them, these things on Wade to try to cause him to be that for me. And you know, no one can be that for you. Mm. No one that's putting a lot of pressure on somebody for something they can't give. And um, little by little, I had to look at myself and I thought all I want to be is a good wife and mother. Now here's the husband, he needs to fulfill me. We need to make this home for the children. But everything I tried didn't work out. And, and, and in the meantime, Linda and I began a Bible study with a friend of Linda's. Actually, she had been a woman that had taught her the Bible when she was little. And so we began to take our little children to Pauline Catlett's house and we would sit around her dining room table and learn about the Bible. And it was joyous news, but still I could not make it work out. And so it, a frustration built in me and I just thought to, God, to myself, God, I mean, how dare you? I didn't want anything big, wealthy riches. I just wanted to be a good wife and mother, but everything I tried, it seems like I failed at. And so one day, along came an English gentleman, former missionary to Africa, named Norman Grubb. And he came to stay with our Bible study teacher and give us his message of union with Christ. So we went there were several other young mothers along with us that went at the same time. And we went, and what he said was like water on parched ground. But we really couldn't even get his words. We just caught the spirit of the man. And it somehow gave us peace inside. But the funny thing was, because we didn't really understand it and it wasn't really ours, when he would leave to move on to another city, it was like he took it with him. And we would scramble to try to regain what we had found when he was there. So it made us look up the scriptures he quoted. We would take copious notes and then we would read through them. We would look up what he had said to us and 
just say it back and forth to ourselves over and over again. And as I said, we really didn't fully understand it. But little by little, he began to teach us of the Christ whom we had taken for salvation. He began to teach us that this Christ that lived inside of us, really the Holy Spirit in action, was our life. That when we received Christ, we, see, we received the whole Godhead in our spirits. And his spirit connected with our spirit and the two became one. Hmm. So, so intermixed, union. yes, hmm. that it could not be broken. It wasn't like side by side. No, it was much greater than that. Someone said to me one time, it's like if you have a screened porch, the air on the outside is the same as the air on the inside, and they've become one. Mm -hmm. And so you don't see a difference in the different air, it's one. And so we began to believe that for ourselves. Now we had very shaky faith about that because <laughs> As usual, when you take something to be yours, every evidence will come against it that it could not be the truth. And I would, to my husband, say these profound things about Christ. Then, in the next 25 minutes, I would throw this enormous fit at him about something, and he would look at me like, and you think Christ lives in you and you act like that? Well, who would want you? Who would want that kind of life? And I took that to be real because I thought, who would want it? But the amazing thing was that um, one day I was giving my children a bath. My husband traveled five to six days a week, and I was very exhausted from taking care of three children and being the sole parent. And um, I have no idea what my daughter said, but the next thing, it was probably a, like a smart answer to something I had said to her or asked her. And I grabbed her by the hair and pulled her out of the bathtub, railing at her. And then I was totally horrified at myself. And I went out into the hall of my home and I said to myself, and you call yourself Christ and you act like this? That could not be. But the spirit inside of me said, can you believe against every appearance of how you look that this is the truth about you? And I realized, um, that we cannot judge by appearances, as, Nor as our friend Norman had told us. But you have to stake your claim that this is true about you, and then go back to it each time you think you have failed. And in the meantime, um, I decided that's what I had to do. That if Christ could jump in and out of me, then I didn't need him. Let me, let, me, let me pause you for a second because it's an amazing story, by the way. You're starting to, 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 to move into what I would consider to be kind of Romans 4 territory, where Abraham hopes against all hope. Yes. Is that what you're essentially beginning to tell me? Because this is important, and I paused you because I, I don't want people to, to miss where we're going with this. If you are going to stand on the hope of our salvation, 
then you need to know what the hope of our salvation is, because otherwise, what are you hoping for? So, and I'm hearing, I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking, well, I can understand that I might have to take a stand on, for example, if anybody be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, all things have become brand new. I might have to take a stand on, um, he who knew no sin became sin, in order that I might become the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. That's right. Or, uh, you know, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or, uh, he has made forever perfect those who have been made holy. I can verse after verse after verse that speak about my identity. But the point is, and I think this was really interesting to me, because you've talked about how when Norman would leave, you would be left with just these kind of fragments. Because the, and I've seen that within my own traveling. I travel a lot in South Brazil particularly, and I'm always conscious of the fact that what I've got to do is I've got to make sure that my gospel becomes your gospel. Until it's your gospel, Paul describes the gospel as his gospel. Well, it's Jesus' gospel. But not anymore, because Paul's in union with that. It's oneness. Paul's arrived at that place. And what we want to move from, and one of the things that I really find very comforting here, and, and I have to say this, and I'll, I'll say this very clearly, and Linda, you need to take a lot of credit for this. One of the things that I'm very impressed about being here is, what I don't hear is I don't find myself amongst a group of Norman grub worshippers. What I'm finding is, I'm finding a group of people for whom this has become their gospel. So we've moved from Norman said. When I, when I was a child growing up in the faith, I was trained under the Exchange Life Ministry by Bob George, and I would always say, as Bob used to say, <laughs> you know, because it wasn't my gospel, it was mm -hmm. Bob George's gospel. Mm -hmm. Did you understand what I mean? Yes. Whereas now, not only, you know, I, I see different things. I've moved beyond, I think, with respect to the Exchange Life community, um, you know, I've moved beyond that in terms of I'm wanting to press into something greater than that. I, I love the message of just but that's not the gospel. The gospel is just as vacation. I want to talk about, you know, who Christ is in me, which is where you are. Mm -hmm. so, so that's very interesting to me. But there has to be a point, does there not, whereby we have to learn what it is that we're going to take our stand on. Uh, and whether that's, whether you're standing on Romans 4 or, or, or Linda, I guess you would have a take on this. You've got to have something to, to make your declaration. Uh, I would upon. have to say there's a critical flashpoint. Go ahead. And the flashpoint for Harriet came at that moment because it was critical of who are you going to say that I am? Are you going to say, and who are you going to say you are? Not just positionally, but conditionally. Because her condition looked opposed to her position in Christ. And, but I would say at this moment, uh, God is more interested in our faith than how we look. We're more interested in how we look than our faith. Because we're obsessed with appearances. Oh, aren't we, we are, yes. And I, we're always trying to change ourselves so we can say, oh, yes, I'm good by faith. Mm. That's not God's vantage point. He's where are you by faith. Your, your eyes belong on me, not on how you look. All right. Let me ask. There, there was the Go. moment that she died to how she looked. No, because that's she had to stand against how she looked. She wanted to look good to herself. She wanted to look good to God a little bit, but she's really, it's really more important to us to look good to ourselves. Yes, it is. And so that's what had to die that moment. And a lot of people don't like that story. A lot of people think that's just a little bit too hard. You would jerk your kid out of the bathtub by the hair of the head and then say, and then walk out in the hall and say, you're Christ. It sounds like, it, it doesn't sound exactly. It sounds like you've gone over the line, really. Over the edge. But in the spirit, and Paul will back this up, because he had to do the same thing with himself in Romans 7. 
Yes, he and does. I don't want to get. I'm, we're going to go right back on with so she can go on. But I want that to be understood that faith is the point. Well, you see, now I think this is really important because, um, and we're going to come right back to Harriet. But doesn't Paul himself say from now on? Second Corinthians five and verse sixteen. We judge no man by appearances. Oh. We used to judge Christ this way. Yes. Right. But no, we don't do that. Why not? Paul says, well, Romans 5.17 says, Because if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, the old things have passed away and everything has become brand new. And these things are from God, Paul says. Now, I've got to tell you, Harry, I don't want you to be you know, hanging out here on your own on this because... I can tell you, as as someone who is, to me, the part of the the contradiction of the union life to me is that um, if there is anything that has been birthed in my spirit, anything at all, it is this: it is that God has made me to be a father. That is the thing that is in my spirit. And do you know, the, there are times in my life where I see my children and the evidence of my children pointing in the opposite direction and the word of the enemy to me is you're a, a father, you're a joke if you were a father why, why, why is this not so with your children, why, aren't your, why are all your children not, you know, preachers and this that and the other why, and, and, you know, and, and all of the evidence is contrary Yes. And the, the the issue is the issue for me has always been whether it's to do with and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what it is whatever it is the Lord lays in my heart my circumstances will line up in the opposite direction and the one thing I always hear the Lord say to me is who are you going to believe are you going to believe what you can see or what you know to be the truth about me and, and for me that's very powerful because I remember the word in in, in Genesis where the Lord speaks that word to Lot uh, to, to Abraham and there's that moment that Abraham separates from Lot and the Lord and Lot speaks about the worldly believer as we all know and the self-life and he says to Abraham he said lift up your eyes whatever you can see the land that you can see I will give to you and I think there is something really powerful in that because we have the world we have the life we see mm -hmm. that's the truth mm -hmm. and the reality for us is that we have to learn as people and I think you're going to take me into this part of the story we have to learn to be see-throughers not see-atters isn't that right? that's right because if we just see at our circumstances we may well curl up and die and go home now but if we can see through isn't there that's that wonderful verse in the book of Exodus where the, the, the Lord comes in the rain and the thunder and all the rest of it and it says, and Israel shrunk back, but Moses, but Moses went into the darkness where God is. Lord. And that's, that's mm. it, isn't it? He went into that's the darkness wonderful. where that's God is. That's great. Exodus 20, verse 21. It's a new one. Yeah, I'm not familiar with that, but I love that. But that's what God's done with you, isn't it? He's taking yes. you into the darkness. He did, and all those God verses is. that you said are the ones that I was hanging my hat on, mm -hmm. mm. saying over and over to myself were the truth about me. And declaring them. Declaring them that they were true. And I, but I felt like it was a pivotal point when I had to stand against this horrible act, which was probably the worst thing I would ever consider doing at that time, to do that to my child when I wanted to be the best mother in the world. Mm. Did you have a, I was, um, there was a kind of hanging question that I had before. You were talking about Wade and, and, and your marriage, and obviously now you've introduced the, the, the incident with your, with your daughter. 
Was there a sense in which, when you spoke about your father, was there a sense in which you ever felt like you, you, you weren't good enough as a daughter? Did you ever feel... No, I mainly put the blame on him that's at it. that time. So the blame went, the blame went to your father. Yes. And that's why you were able to say that when your father got healed, you assumed that, that you'd get the downwind on that. Yes. Okay, that's interesting. That's it. So tell, tell me more about, the, about your, your, your family story. What, tell, me, tell us about, you, you, you've, you've had this contradiction, you're, there you are, uh, you've got this tuft of your daughter's hair in your hand, and you're being accused that you call yourself Christ. Mm-hmm. Take, mm-hmm. take us on from that. Well, from there, um, you know, uh, as I said, I couldn't believe that there was a God who would jump in and out of me. I had to take a stand that he was connected to me in my spirit and would never leave me. And then one day he gave me Psalm 139 Mm. where before I was even born, Mm -hmm. he chose me and put me in my mother's womb and and really charted every day of my life. So I had to learn to give thanks for everything because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning me. And so I began to give thanks for the things that looked good but equally give thanks to the things that looked bad because I knew they were all in God. And the way I found this out was so interesting because at that time, Satan was very talked about in the United States. I don't know how it was anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But the book um, Dealing with the Devil, Satan is Alive and Well on the Planet Earth, those were books that were passed around among people my age. And you were always thinking that the devil was out to get you or out to get your family or, you know, we were always trying to, you know, cover things with the blood of Christ to prevent the devil from having any foothold. And one night, and as I say, I went to a Bible study, but I didn't really know where anything was in the Bible. I could quote a few verses at that time. But... I just said, God, you have got to get this settled for me. And interestingly enough, he took me right to Colossians. It was the very first thing that he ever gave me on my own. And in Colossians 1, it says that all principalities and powers are made by God, Mm -hmm. that he is the head of all principalities and powers, which I included the devil in those, and that he made... He overcame them all and made a show of them Mm. openly Mm -hmm. by his crucifixion and resurrection. And from that point on, I never did pay one heed to anything anybody ever said about the devil. It was so settled inside of me. So I just attributed everything that came my way, which I later learned was by one night when my husband had not come home we were in the throes of a mess and he was looking for his life everywhere but within our household and I couldn't think of a verse I couldn't even I tried to say my faithful 23rd Psalm or the Lord's Prayer and I it would keep getting mixed up in my mind and finally I thought well I'm just going to open my Bible and put my finger in and see what it lands on. And I laughed at myself. I thought, well, this could not possibly work. 
And I put my finger down and looked, and behold, it said in Matthew that everything that came my way came from the hand of God. And bingo, there it was. And from then on, I knew that he was the one that sent everything my way. And introspectively, I had to realize that if he is a God of love, then these things coming my way that looked like hell and destruction from the hand of God turn into something else. Wow. And they are upward, redeeming wow. not just me, but all of those around me. Do you know the interesting thing about that is that it, it, I, I've thought before, Harriet, that there's an interesting concept. So they, they have in the computer world, they have these things they call firewalls that are wrapped around the you know, internet servers and stuff. And one of the things that is intriguing is that I've noticed that when you read an email, it'll tell you that it's been screened. And, and what struck me about that, I was thinking about this one day, and I was thinking that that must mean that it's almost like there's a firewall around you and I. And if anything comes through and touches us, it's because the Lord's allowed it. It's been screened. And what happens is, if you t it's very interesting because if you take the word evils, it's an, do you know it's an anagram? If you turn it backwards, it's, it, the word is lives. <laughs> and so that which the enemy intends for yes, evil, yes, by yes. the time it goes through the firewall of Jesus, mm -hmm. it becomes a source of life to us. And it's, 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 it's very powerful because that, that's the nature of God. It has to be so. Nothing can happen to me except that God purposes it for my good. Doesn't it remind you of the story of Joseph and his uh, brothers? Absolutely. You meant, you meant it for, for evil. evil. But God meant it to me for God good. God meant it for good. And there's a beautiful moment where he has that reconciliation with his brothers where he says, please don't worry. God sent me here to preserve your life. In other words, he killed me that you might have life. That's it. Right? And that's the gospel, isn't it? Mm -hmm. that, that it? That is it. Tell me about, um, from what you've just said, Wade didn't come through into the message at the same time as you did. So there's, there's a trail, there's a hanging time. There are a lot of women, um, and some men, but there are a lot of women, I think, um, that know that, that that is their experience. So could you, can you talk to me about what it is to live in this glorious union, um, whilst at the same time the person that you love the most on the earth is not moving in that same truth? Well, it's very frustrating, but in our little Bible study, um, we had found a verse that when you believe something for yourself, that you and your household will be saved. Mm. And so we all, young women with husbands who none of whom had come around with us to the Bible studies at that time. We believed that for them. And uh, lots of people put that down and said, you know, that couldn't everybody has a mind of their own and blah, blah, blah. But we found that our belief, standing strong on that verse, in the end, caused all the husbands to come. Now, I, I, now I've, got a, I've got a quick question on this. Watch it. What I'm what I'm hearing you saying is that there was you took a verse, which you declared. No, but you didn't declare it. I guess you didn't declare it blindly. I guess it that there there had to there had to be some kind of a rima word for you. There had to be a truth word for you, did it? How do you, and then you stand on this word. Yes. Uh, now, now why I'm why I'm after you about this, Harriet, is because this is this to me is a very very interesting discussion because. 
some of our people that will listen to us have come from the word of faith movement. And when you come out of the word of faith movement, watch the distinction. What you have is faith in your faith mm-hmm. oh. in God. That would be very tricky. That would be very <laughs> tricky. But you're talking about something entirely different. You're talking about declaring the word of God and taking your stand on it. And now, that's, that's exciting. Talk, talk, talk to me. Linda, Harriet, talk to me about that. That's well, interesting. Well, because you see, taking that by faith produced the very opposite coming against her. Hmm. The very thing that happened was that it didn't look like it happened. And the household became um, wage search for God cost her everything as far as what you would hold dear of a marriage and security and everything and that you need to talk about Romans 4.17 and how you began to stand for Wade. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you said you didn't take that blindly. In the beginning, we may have taken it blindly because we didn't really actually know what that meant or what the cost would be to us. Is that right? Yes. Do you think if you'd have known the cost, you'd have been so keen to stand on it? Probably. That's interesting. Yes. That's interesting. Probably we would have been much more introspective about it, but isn't that a good thing? Yes, indeed. Absolutely. So. I think God led us along blindly through a lot of things, and we just totally trusted Him and the Holy Spirit in these things. But as Linda said, everything began to look worse, which always does by when you speak a word of faith. But never did we think that it was our own faith. And later that became very clear to me by a verse in Timothy where it says, even when we believe not, he abides faithful, Mm. for he will not deny himself. And so to me that said that it wasn't my own faith, it was his faith of the one living Uh. in me and moving and having his being as me to the world. But Harriet, at home. that is the greatest single key to me to open up the new covenant. Because when I think about the, the, re, the reality is, uh, Habakkuk laid it out for us in Habakkuk 2 verse 4, the just shall live by his faith. faith. Amen. It's not that we live by faith in him, it's that we live by his, his faith. faith. Mm-hmm. Paul says, we discussed this last night, Linda and I, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I that live. But the life that I live, I live by his faith. Mm-hmm. It's not my faith. Mm-hmm. And, and this, I think, is, is really fascinating. Uh, you see that in the, in the episode where Jesus talks to uh, the apostles, or disciples as they were then, about the issue of the, the, the fig tree. And he, says, he, he, says to, he, he actually says to them, uh, you know, about you, this faith issue is about an exercise not of having faith, it's childlike, but it's having the faith of God. It's the faith of God that is operative in you. And exactly. that, that becomes powerful. I was looking at this verse that you, that you were talking about, and I, I know people will be keen to, to hear this verse, and I wanted just to pull it out for us and just, just discuss it a little bit. Um, you talked about this household salvation verse. It's, it's right here in Acts chapter 16. Paul and, and Silas have been uh, dragged into prison. And the Bible says in the 25th verse, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Uh, 
Well, that in itself is an astonishing idea, isn't it? They've been dragged and beaten and kicked and flogged, and they're dragged into this jail, and there they are in the jail. And the Bible just says, Luke says in a, just a kind of matter-of-fact way, oh, you know, it was around midnight, and they were just worshipping and singing songs to God, <laughs> and you just say, what is going on with these people? Because they, they, they are surely a different species. This isn't just business as usual, is it? This is something serious. Um, and they're singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them and suddenly it was, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately, interestingly enough, we talked at breakfast about everything that can be shaken will be shaken and you know one of the greatest prisons on this earth that's left to be shaken is the church and when the foundations of the church will be you know there is a serious issue hanging over this because this is the whole picture that the, ch that the children of God are, are being persecuted but even as they perse persecuted they sing their little love songs to Jesus Sunday after Sunday they sing their little love songs to Jesus but then there comes a moment in the spirit when everything that can be shaken will be shaken and here including it, us especially <laughs> us that's exactly right and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone one's bonds were unfastened, how lovely. And when the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembling, he fell down before Peter, Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said to them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your house. Will be that's it. And that's your verse right there, yes. isn't it? How mm -hmm. marvelous, how absolutely marvelous. And this, your household came through to salvation, I take it. Yes. And a few minutes ago you were talking about Galatians 2.20. Mm. That, that was one of the key verses in the beginning that made me solid in who I was. That it was no longer me living, but, but Christ, Christ living in me. And then later I saw it was he living as me and he did not care how I looked or how I acted but he was going to get across to his people what they needed to know by means of me Wow now that's powerful Linda Linda shared with us yesterday about the you know the whole concept of the website Christ as me now this is going to make some folk nervous because you're now talking about moving from a gospel that's just Christ for me. Everybody's happy with that. Exactly. No problem with that. Uh -huh. Christ is for me and I'm for Christ, we're for one another. That's uh -huh. we're just buddies, don't you know? But what you're saying is Christ as me. Right. And it's wow. a little different than Christ in me. It it most certainly you is know, a little different from it's Christ really in me. The next step past that. It's really the same thing that Moses that God said to Moses, You shall be as God to Pharaoh. Mm. So the time mm. comes when, and even when Moses led the children out and they were with the, Egypt behind them and the water before them and, God, and Moses cries out to God, part the waters, he's scared to death. Yes, he And is. God says back to him, no, you part the waters. You do it. You I've, do I've it. Trained you, I've I'm trained you. I'm in you. I'm alive in you. Do it. That's, <coughs> and you've moved from the school of yes. faith into the life of faith. Mm -hmm. Now go, go walk that life that you've been mm -hmm. prepared for. Yeah. Oh, absolutely amazing. Linda said, "Did you want to add something?" Linda? I was going to take. I was going to move on to something else, well, but let's let's stay here. Do you have any more to say about your marriage and how Wade came back? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> go ahead. Well, um, I got lots of practice in believing in what I could not see <laughs> because <laughs> so he was out there 
in the world just going like gangbusters yeah. trying to find himself. Yeah. Sure. And but and he, you know, did it with other women, mm-hmm. other lifestyle, drinking a lot, which usually goes hand in hand with and you know, I think people run to that because they're fearful and they're trying to find what you have, but it takes us all different kinds of avenues before we really come to that. And the interesting thing that I saw was because you have to be fearful for that other person and will they really go off the deep end and that will be it. But God just had me stand everything that looked awful. He had me see him there, himself in Wade, even though it didn't look it. And you know, it's a little easier to say something for yourself when you look really pretty good most of the time. Mm-hmm. I was reading my Bible, trying to do the right thing, not not always working it out. But then God just said to me, what you have said for yourself, you need to say for him. And so I began to say that the seed of Christ was in him and that Christ, that God was bringing that to birth in him and he was doing it this way. And at that point in time, I can remember one night thinking, he is tethered to God. Now, if you know what that is, it's that you can only go so far. But God was here in the middle as his source. Mm. And Wade could only go all these different directions around, but he couldn't go totally off. And I just, and everything I said... I said it over and over every time anything looked bad and it looked to me like sometimes like a mantra that I would say, just say over and over. And sometimes I would think to myself I was crazy. And then I thought, well, let God be true and every man a liar. God is saying this through me and let him do it. Even if I look like a basket case and even if Wade went off to the ends of the earth he gave me this to stand on and he gave me one night in a storm when everything looked bleak in the marriage and in in the atmosphere because it was a huge storm and God just said say your marriage is whole and it's one thing to believe it inwardly and to stand on it but to really say the marriage is whole when I didn't know how the marriage was going to end up. But I just knew that God meant me to say it, even if the marriage didn't look like it came through, that I would say it till my dying day because they were God's words. Mm. And in the process of all of this, Wade was doing lots of things and giving me, letting me find lots of secrets of his that I stored up as evidence against him in case anything happened, you see. Which sounds like I shouldn't have been doing that, but it was for a very good purpose because I had this collection. If I ever had to deal with him, I could use all of this against him. Mm. And one day God said to me, you have stood for your marriage by faith. You have stood for your husband by faith. Throw your evidence in the garbage. Love you do not need that. Wow. And I 
wanted to try to take a few things out. God would not let me. I had to go to the trash can with all of it, and I had to watch the garbage collectors haul it away. And it was a death to me Mm. because that was one little thing I was hoarding. And what next? Well... Wow, let's just pause for breath there for one second because as soon as you, as soon as you said that, as soon as you said that, I was thinking to myself, and you used the illustration of the trash man. You see, there's a huge difference between what we know of Christ in the new covenant and what we knew of God in the old covenant. The old covenant is a is a discussion about atonement, which is a covering of sin, whereas the new covenant is about propitiation, which is a taking away of sin. And as far as the east is from the west, the Lord says. So far are your transgressions to me. Your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. And you you were, you were Christ in that moment. And do you know, this, the thing that popped into my spirit when you began to say that was, you've spoken already about how God is love. And I could hear the Lord saying in my, in my in, just in my inner knowing, I could hear the Lord saying, and love keeps no record of wrongs. <laughs> That's right. No record of wrongs. Well, and That's I don't... precious, Harriet. I don't know if she has anything to add to this segment, but I will say this, that um, Romans 4, 17 just, just became her life. And she believed in what she could not see, and it, against hope, she, she believed. And many times in unbelief within her mind, but her heart was always in him. And uh, a few years after... Well, let me go on with that, okay. because... Romans 4.17, when the Spirit really revealed that to me, was about Abraham calling the things that are not as though they are. Mm -hmm. And so this was my byword. And that's why when I was saying I would call everything the opposite of the way it looked, because knowing that God was in it. And so that really became my verse. So everything call into being that which does not exist is another translation of that. So I was calling into being for Wade what didn't look like existed in him and for him. And in the process, I mean, I, as I said earlier, looked like I was crazy. And one day I was furious because I thought, here I am, the responsible person staying home, taking care of the house, taking care of the children, seeing that they get to school, seeing that they get fed, and he is, we call it, footloose and fancy free. We call he it has not a care in the world, and he can go off and do anything he so chooses because his children are provided for by me, and I was mad. And God said to me, would you rather be in his place or yours? Hmm. And then he said to me, because I have chosen to live in you and walk by faith and teach you to call into being which does not exist, he said, the sins that he has committed are not against you, they are against me. Mm. when he is clear with me then he is clear with you and just as I erase a sin just as if it has never been and he reminded me he did that for me that my sins he saw no more 
that I was to do that for him. And it was very difficult because it still looked like they were there. And so I, I fought with God a lot over it. And one day, I, I cursed God like Job. And I said, just leave me alone. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of living this way. And the funny thing is, I always thought you curse God and die, which the Bible says, and I expected to be struck by lightning. I really damned God. Out loud, I screamed it as I drove in my car 90 miles an hour down the road, not caring if I lived or died. And I could, I, God laughingly showed me at that moment that it's not die physically, but die to thinking of yourself that you are better than that and that you would never do that. And he put me right back on track. He was so loving with me, right straight along. The way was treacherous. I was just like my skin had been ripped off all the time. Some days I could not even think of what to fix for my children to eat. I was so schizophrenic between walking by faith and being pulled by what I could see and what I felt. And he looked like he didn't love me at all. But God had gave me a love in my heart for him that when he would walk in the door, everything else in my mind that I had been furious with would fall away and I would love him. And he would not respond to me. He would be like a stone. And God said, that makes no difference. He does love you. And, you know, I believed God and I feel like it was counted to me for righteousness mm. and wow, that's fantastic. one day he showed me that Wade caught in this web was the lamb sacrifice for me to, t to learn to live and walk by faith <laughs> I'm not ready for you <laughs> That's astonishing. Yes. That because is astonishing. It was a death to him because he didn't ever think he would. He said to me one time, I don't know how this can be happening to me, the all-American boy. He was astonished <coughs> at himself, and he was going away. He did not want to go. He loved his kids. He really loved me. He didn't maybe at times have a physical love for me, but he did love me, and he loved what was inside of me. And it kept him tied there. So it doesn't matter. And, and we could never talk things out. I could talk circles around him. He does not, he's very gregarious out to the world, but he is very silent into himself mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in our home. Mm -hmm. And it did not make any difference. It did not make a difference, and God said to me, you are whole and complete and you have no needs. I have met every need you have. Now you, my dear, are a need meter to the world. And you get to begin right here in your home. And you know, it's a lot easier a lot of times to be a need meter to somebody out here who doesn't have that much effect on you. They know the truth. 
but a wonderful point God made with me to have it begin right there. Mm -hmm. And it made me solid. And now I can say to every other person with marital problems, you know, it, everybody, every book will tell you that it needs two people working on it. It doesn't. It needs one person to take a stand. One with God is a majority. Mm. That's phenomenal. And the tricky that thing is, is that you're the key to the other person. You are the key, and it's done by love. That's amazing. You, it's hard to imagine. Um, I, I've known you for two years, and it's hard for me to grasp when I come here to, to Louisville, uh, where these two ladies, Harriet and Linda, have set up a home next door to each other, uh, and you, there is a backstory that is not visible to the naked eye that you look and you just think these are the poster children for Christianity they have it all you know they wonderful homes wonderful husbands you know children that glow in the dark all the rest of that stuff um, and yet you you know that yet you hear that you hear your stories and you think some a part of me one question and something I really want to talk to you about but one of my questions is what was it that led you to because you did you build the houses side by side how, how did that how did that come to be because that, I'll tell you how it came please, to be, go because ahead. we were in undergraduate school together uh, at a small college here in Kentucky, and we lived in adjoining uh, housing, married housing. Right. The walls were so thin, we could talk back and forth to each other at, the, at our kitchen tables. <laughs> and we used to kid and say, well, we want to live in the country. The four of us wanted to live in the country. And we said, well, when John goes to medical school and he's rich, then we will go and buy land together. Well, we came back to Louisville at the, about the same time, and... Uh, one day Harriet called me and said, let's go look for property. But this is just a simple way. We had no idea this God was directing us or what the purposes were going to be. We just said we, were, we wanted to live in the country and we wanted to be able to borrow salt if, you know, we wanted to have a neighbor. And so one morning we came out here and drove out and found the property. And it was enough property that neither one of us could afford all of it. So we went back to our Bible study and we said, does anybody want to join in? Well, we ended up buying the property and then building our homes the same summer. And we raised, we have lived in a relationship that would threaten every friendship because we have lived next door to each other. We have raised our children together as family, which kids always battle and get mothers into trouble with each other. We've traveled together, we've been in business together, and we've been spiritual partners. And we've been spiritual partners. She and I have been spiritual partners through all the darkness. When the darkness came in, in the form of marriages failing, uh, children dying, losing your own identity, uh, going to the cross for Christ's sake, losing yourself, these are assaults to sanity. Mm. When you begin to walk in the Spirit and take God's lessons and take the cross, It'll, it can kill you. The brilliance is that you don't die. Resurrection comes, and when you go through it, resurrection comes, and here we are, all these 35 years later. I was going to say, at times, each of us would call the other when mm -hmm. we were in a very dark hole mm -hmm. and say, 
what is it again that we believe? Is that right? <laughs> because right. you would lose your grasp on it, you yes. thought. You would lose sight of it. And that's so true, and it's important for people to not think that you just get a doctrine and that somehow it's going to be this supernatural uh, thing that takes you through in some pseudo-strength because it really takes you the opposite way. It takes you to weakness. The, the only thing I've, I've, that I've learned in, 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 in my still tender walk can, in comparison to what that you two ladies have, have experienced is that in weakness I'm made perfect. That's right. Therefore That's Paul says, well I glorify them in my weakness. I cannot not ask you about Scott. I have to. I have to ask you. About well, before think... we finish with Wade, though, could I please say one thing? Because yeah. this cannot be not said. Because one year we were here in the tent, and there were about two hundred people, and Wade, who does not like to speak and does not like to be public, at the end of the night got up, and everybody kind of thought, "Uh oh, what's he going to say?" And he stood up there and he looked at Norman, and he said, "Well, Norman." I'm not a reader. I'm really dyslexic. I've never read your books. I don't read the Bible. But I've read my wife. Mm. Well, needless to say, I've read my wife. The whole tent was in tears. We were applauding God and the work of the Spirit on a man who read his wife. And there she sat without a tear. All her tears it's were... It's so funny because... You cried a river already, hadn't you? I had, but it was that I knew he was already there. Mm -hmm. I had seen it with the eyes of faith before I ever saw it with in tear. the physical. That is beautiful. But what I was going to say when you said that his strength is made perfect in, in weakness, that was another <coughs> one of our favorite verses well, because we always looked so weak. I'm a very fearful person. And even if there's not anything to fear, I always come from that place. And one time somebody told me fear is false evidence appearing real. Hmm. And it can appear very real. That's brilliant. And so I always would come from weakness, but God's strength was always there underlying me. So I looked weak to myself, but really there was strength underneath. Do you know, totally so. Do you know the interesting the interesting thing is about that, and I really I really want would love you to receive this uh, because I think this is really from the throne of God. Paul says in that passage, because of the surpassing revelations. Mm. You see, it's not just the weakness isn't just out there for the sake of the weakness. The weakness is there because of the surpassing revelations. Oh, that's wonderful. There was given to me. Uh -huh. A thorn in my flesh, an, uh -huh. an agent from Satan to buffet me, to prevent me from becoming too elated. Three times I said, Lord, remove this thing from my side. And he said, no, Paul, no, Paul, no, Paul, because in weakness. You see, if you don't have the surpassing revelation, you don't, have a, you, 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 you don't need a thorn in your side. That's true, but I think that really tells me why I have remained weak. I always come from weakness. I find it now as a springboard to faith. Absolutely. But I don't always start from thinking as God, seeing as God sees. I always start from, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? But you, but you move there. But I you do. And the, and the thing I was going to say is all of this background was perfect preparation for me 
for the day Linda came frantic to my door to tell me that my middle son had been in an automobile accident two miles down the road from where we live and she had passed it and came to get me and I it was early in the morning so as I went upstairs to get dressed to go to the hospital I just said God I know that I'm a faith person I have walked through lots of things by faith but is my faith big enough for this and that's really when I got the verse in Timothy of even when you believe not he said to me I will abide faithful for my I will not deny myself in you so I knew with that that he would get me through this whether it was I had no idea how bad the accident was but somehow in my heart I knew it was bad and um, that he would get me through it and it came to me he will get me through whether I'm prostrate on the floor screaming and yelling and kicking or whether I walk through it like the king of kings but I knew it would be God's way whichever way it was and so I got dressed knowing that and a calmness had come over me that I decided I was in shock but I was bombarded with when I got in her car I was bombarded with all these Bible verses and interestingly enough um, the verse in Romans that you said a little while earlier against hope they believed in hope we had said for another friend some months before Scott died that against hope we believed in hope for our friend Gary and we knew that he was not going to die and it looked like he was so I presented this verse to God against hope we believed in hope and you know it wouldn't fit it wasn't the I right knew verse. it wouldn't fit but what came to me was it pleased God to bruise his son mm in love and I knew a God of love of that kind of love and that it pre pleased him to bruise my son and whichever way he would get the most glory that is was going to be the outcome of Scott and on the way to the hospital I said I'm willing to give him up God but I really expect knowing the verse the corn of wheat falls to the ground and dies it about if a fall, corn of wheat falls to the ground it abides alone but if it dies it brings forth much fruit and so I said I expect a lot to come from this if he does die and then I said I demand it mm. if I am willing to give him mm. up then I demand that from you and I think God put those I didn't think those words up he put those words in my mouth and when we got to the hospital John Bunting a surgeon met us there and he was back there with Scott and he came out to tell me that it didn't look good and so I had to call home to tell my other children 
and my mother who were there. And I said, you know, we would love to keep Scott, but if this is his birthday to heaven, <laughs> we would never ever keep him from that. And so then I went back to wait and they came out to, to say that he was dying and I said that I would like to give any of his organs to the organ donation. Funny how you think of things like that. I had thought about it on the way to the hospital and then they said you have to get the okay from your husband. Wade had never thought about that and he said no, he did not want that. And, but then, you know, it was so funny, as he thought about it, he changed his mind. And so it was too late for some organs, but we were able to give his corneas for transplant into people who were blind. And the, then I called the children to say, we just have to be thankful for the time we had him and thankful that he's gone home. And I kept thinking, he has won the ball game. Yeah. He's made the home run and he is home free. Now the rest of us are still along our course. And Wade was so distraught, he could not go to help make the funeral arrangements. He, Linda and John went with me. And he just felt so bad. And finally, our friend Dan Stone, who wrote the book, mm -hmm. The Rest of the Gospel, went to Wade and talked with him. And Dan had been there for us through all of Wade's years of crisis. Dan, we would call Dan and he would come. And one time I just expected Dan to get in the car with Wade, tell him the whole thing, Wade to accept Dan speaking of God and Wade to accept that. And they rode in silence and John, we would send John to talk to Wade and it would never work out. And God would say to me afterwards, be still and know that I am God. I will come through within Wade the same way I have come through within you. But I'm, I wanna add something about Dan right here because uh, that morning of the funeral, the place was packed and Dan stood up and he said, everybody in here is saying, what if? What if we hadn't let him come after the radio? What if we hadn't done this? And then he turned over to Wade and Harriet and he said, but only a family of faith will say this was God's day for Scott. This was God's day. And that day, there was a woman there who had lost her child and had never gotten any peace with God about the accident. But that day at the cemetery, she came up to Harriet and she said, today I have peace about my daughter's death. So already the spirit had begun to... And the good thing that Dan did for Wade then was because in Wade's guilt of all that he had done mm -hmm. to our family, he felt really that this was punishment from God. And Dan said, nothing you did caused this and nothing you could have done would have prevented it. That's beautiful. Do you know, that, that may be that may be the perfect place to, to, to draw this 
interview to the close. What you di what you did did not cause this, and anything you could have done could not prevent it, because God is sovereign. And that that's the right. truth. Amen. And that even if now today we don't understand that, it is still the truth. There was a, I was thinking as you were sharing that unbelievable story. We we've gone through some instances at home where we've seen people suffer some loss of loved ones and reconciling that is such a difficult thing to do and I was thinking of, as you were talking about the story of Job and you know what was really interesting to me about the Job account Harriet was two things one Job is the most was the most righteous man that the Lord could find for the devil to have a go at and at the end of Job's life Job says in the 42nd verse chapter 7 verse he says I had heard of him but now my eyes have seen mm -hmm. right. I despise myself because he realized that self was nothing. Mm -hmm. And the Bible makes this astonishing statement at the end. It says, and Job, everything that Job had lost was returned to him double. And you look through the inventory of the grace of God, and you see that he got like double the number of cattle, double the number of health. Mm -hmm. The only thing he didn't get back that was double was children. He lost seven children, and he got seven children back. And I remember looking at that text one day and saying, Lord, why don't you give him 14 children? Because you doubled everything else. You know what the Lord said? They were never lost. Oh, you know what Lord. I thought as you said that too? They were never lost. They, they're still yours. They're just on they're the other yours. side of grace. But you know what I thought just as Go you ahead. said that? Because when I demanded of God much life from his death, mm. as you said that about children, I just thought... Many, many, many children have come to God Absolutely. because of his death. And I see it to this day, 25 years later. How magnificent. Mm -hmm. that Isn't is, that beautiful? It is absolutely beautiful. But, the, you know, that's, the, that's stunning to me. But the truth, the truth of the matter is, as Abraham said of when he was with, the, uh, with his boy Isaac, me and the lad are going under to worship and we will return. And all that's happened is he's gone ahead of us to worship. Right. But he will return. Because that's the promise of God. That's the promise of God. Harriet, you're a woman of the word and I am astonished. And friends have been listening to this broadcast. Uh, let me tell you something. You have been in the presence of Jesus this afternoon. And we, we are just so touched. And um, I feel it would only be right to finish by reading the word to you because there's something that the Lord laid on my heart just to read to you and I hope you'll receive this for, for what it's supposed to be an excellent wife who can find she's far more precious than Schultz the heart of her husband he trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wood and flax, and she works with her hands. She's like the ship of the merchants and brings in the uh, food from far away. She rises while it is still night and provides for her household. And she provides portions for her maidens. She considers a field and she buys it. With the fruit of her hands she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength, and she makes her arms strong. 
she perceives that her merchandise is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands to the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and she, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household will be clothed with scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates of the city, and when he is among the elders of the land, she makes linen garments and she sells them. She delivers the sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works be praised in the gates. Thank you, Thank you for listening to us, and we're just blessed that you were able to be part of this broadcast, and uh, we pray that you'll be encouraged. God bless you.